Hello, and welcome to A Culinary Observation. I'm your host, Marco Gutierrez. Well, hello, and welcome back to this podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. So, on the last episode, Shelby was just a great conversation to have, and just, on my end, it was fun to edit again and record and have a fresh conversation. Uh, Overall, I mean, that conversation just reminded me of the lasting impression that he made on me in, like, the two to three year span that we were actually working together, and it it brought on another conversation with someone that did the same thing, and his name is Theo. Theo reached out to me, and uh, of course I would have him anytime on this podcast. He is someone that I looked up to when I was at Texas A&M as I was coming up through the ranks still, and I had a lot to learn. So he was someone that I looked to to try to pick up some of his uh, knowledge as a leader and as a, as a culinarian. Ultimately, Theo left Texas A&M to do his own thing, um, and it was something that he had been doing before and was able to pursue again and just continue with, and instead of me telling you all of it right now, we'll just get into the podcast. So thank you so much for checking it out. Hi, Theo. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, Marco. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I don't have really like a format or a, uh, like a traditional format or anything like that for this, but... I kind of feel like with you, it's a little different. I can kind of just just rally off the, the things that that I kind of always go through with everyone. It's like, did you go to culinary school formally? No, no, I never did. Honestly, I dropped out. Uh, you actually, did you, you know, start kinda, going to one? Well, yeah. So I let me put, I put that wrong. So I, I was actually going to the Art Institute um, to be a graphic designer originally here in Houston. And uh, that's kind of where we are right now, um, currently. Oh, wicked. Um well, we're outside of Houston. We're visiting some family, and uh, we've been back and forth between Houston and College Station because, you know, during the summer, College Station is dead zone, very quiet, dead zone. So, yeah. you know, we kind of do a little bit of traveling. And uh, no, but I, I, you know, out here in uh, this area of Houston, the toward kind of towards Galveston, uh, is finally where I went to culinary school. Uh, our institute was uh, downtown Houston. This was a long time ago. And I, I just remember um, I was in graphic design originally. But I just I just felt more of a connection with the culinary kids. So I ended up switching my major. It was way too expensive there for me to stay at the Art Institute. Yeah. Because uh, my family didn't have a whole lot of money so at the time. And I, you know, was kind of like, oh, man, I don't know if I really love this enough. So I just went to a, a, a community college out here in uh, South Houston. Oh, heck and, yeah. Uh, but I, I never actually finished. Uh, I actually dropped out just to just to work, you was, know. Was that for? Were you taking culinary classes there too, or is it more like general education? No, it was it was straight up culinary. Nice here in Houston. Okay. Yeah, straight up culinary. And uh, but I got a job working for Sheraton. Oh yeah. Uh, working working in the kitchen there, and also doing. Uh, so I would do banquets there, and I did some bartending there, and did some management there. So you know, I kind of worked my way around the rounds uh, with with the company with Sheraton. What time in your life killer was this, money. What time of your life was this around like when you were out of like high school sort of still? 
Yeah. So it's when I had just met my, uh, my wife. Um, so, you know, this was back when we were 22, I'm 35 now. So, nice. you know, it was quite a while, quite a while ago. Yeah. feels like forever ago. It feel it feels like that, you know, but anyways, so yeah, that's kind of my experience with that. How did you feel going into the culinary industry? Like actually just doing, doing the work? Well, you know, I found it much easier to actually just do the work and go to like school and actually take tests and um, yeah. go through the whole minutia <laughs> of having to show up to class every day. And I did have a good amount of friends that I made through culinary, uh, the, the culinary program here in South Houston. So that was really kind of the really the driving factor for like kind of continuing as long as I did. I didn't finish all the way. But, you know, those are the connections that ultimately led me to the Sheraton, too. And so, yeah, so, you know, um, I was really big into the connection and not so much about, you know, having to deal with that whole grind of semester per semester, every semester, you know, oh, yeah, totally. in and out. Uh, so, how long were you there with the Sheraton? So, right. Yeah. So we were with the Sher- I was with the Sheraton. Uh, I was with them for two years. And uh, funny story. Uh, it's always like a huge like event that kind of like shakes our family to like move in a different direction. So that event was, we had a really big hurricane called Ike oh. um, that year. And I would have been at the Sheraton. I would have stayed there, but you know, that, that hurricane was so bad here in Houston. And you know, this was back in like 2008. Wow. So also the housing crisis was kind of going on too at that time. Um, Shit. And uh, so the hotel was destroyed during uh, hurricane Ike. So they were, I think it took like, uh, nine months for them to like basically rebuild the whole hotel. So everybody got laid off and wow. kind of moved on. Yeah. That's so nuts, man. Yeah, man. So then, you know, uh, when that happened, I uh, went back to graphic design actually for a little while. Gnarly. And I was working at an art studio here in, uh, in Houston. And actually, it was the central part of Houston, the River Oaks area. You know, because I, I didn't really know where my life was going at the time. So I was like, well, let me just, because I didn't know if culinary was going to be it for me, which it's always been kind of like a love, a love, love less kind of, uh, you know, life decision, Absolutely. I guess you could say, uh, you know, where you have seasons where you're like, oh, man, is this really, am I going to do this forever? Yeah, it's it's so crazy to, to like, even though you were like in the major city, like at least near Houston, like. Texas is just so big. I don't know if people like really know how big it is like to get from place to place. Like that's the reason that the speed limit is like 75 in some areas. Cause it's just like, there's nothing for big stretches. So like to like, just say, Oh, I'm going to up my life and just go to Austin or go to Dallas. It's like actually a quite a commitment to move like those areas around. <laughs> yes. It's so far. I remember when you had that suburban and uh, when you first moved to college station, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, man, like, I just went into Houston for the day to explore or whatever. And I'm like, man, this dude's brave, man. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like just like go into a city like that, you know, and just kind of like explore, which, hey, man, I, I, you know, I, that's one of the reasons why I always admired you, too, is because you always had this like really romantic way at looking at like life, especially culinary, too. Like, you know, some people, they'll look at they'll, they look at the, the industry there's very technically minded people and very like thinkers like you that are, that, that I find myself aligning more with. We're very passionate about what we do. We, you know, we want to know like the science behind it. We want to create the perfect sandwich or you want to, you know, you're going to spend like your day off, like making like pickles and making, you know, whatever it is that you're just trying to be romantic about at that period of time. Cause you had something you really liked, you know, 
I've, I've always, I always admired that about you. You know, everybody that I've met, you know, it's like not everybody in the industry is like that. No, I, I get very emotional when it comes to, to this field, I guess now, because like I've said in the past, like when I turned 20, 28, I kind of like committed 26, 28. I was starting to commit to like actually doing culinary and like it was hard to not get romantic about the things that I was passionate about. And I, I, to this day, I still feel like that's really the only way to look at it, like to drive and push every day. And like, I know we, you and I have chatted on the off, uh, about, um, like still being a part of sports and entertainment field. And like, it's a pretty soulless, uh, gig sometimes, but for the most part, like if you look for it, you will find it. And I, I try to always stay a little bit more optimistic and, it's not something that I've been forever. It definitely took a long time to get there, and you were part of that process of, of me like starting to to really feel like everything I was doing meant something and was a part of something big. Well, cheers to that. You know, I <clears throat> one thing that I've never been never been able to find since the sports entertainment industry is like this cohesive. It's like you're watching a team play on the field, but you're also building that team and com- camaraderie with your culinary crew. Man, I, I can tell you I've worked in restaurants since then. I've opened my own business, and I've done that now for the past three years. And, um, you know, I always thought to myself, man, there's something about the team building that happens and happens in those arenas that you just really can't recreate anywhere else. And I find it really cool, honestly. Yeah, it's it's been a, a real journey to, like, to see when crews just work. And I've only seen a handful of those happen in my lifetime. It, it took almost like four or five years before I found a team where I was like super proud to be a, to be with. And then I had that happen again in Texas with you guys. And then beyond that, you know, I found one here in Portland. So it's I've only had it like maybe three times, maybe oh, four times. I'll put four because there's also Citrus at Social that was kind of like everything was awesome. But yeah, no, you're right. Like it, they're very rare occasions. And when you do find it, it's hard to replicate it again and again. Well, then maybe what I should say is I miss, you know, that's one of the one things that I would say I would miss about that time frame at A&M would be that 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 team that we built there and the, you know, just the camaraderie of, of uh, you know, we all it was like Toy Story. Like I always say it's like Toy Story 3 is like <laughs> no toy left, no toy left behind. And like we really stuck by that, you know, it was like no chef left behind, yeah. you know, and uh, we always, you know, would would stay late for our, our, our comrades and jump in when our comrades were in trouble and yeah i think about that time in my life but you know everything for a reason though you know that couldn't last forever that couldn't last forever unfortunately let's go back to you you were doing graphic design after sheridan what happened after that so after that we i was actually going to move we we moved to austin and originally we moved to austin because i was going to go to like cordon blue oh okay so i was going to actually pursue Going back to culinary school. So I thought, well, you know, we didn't finish here in Houston. And then uh, Natalie and I had our our first child. And so we just really need to put food on the table. And, you know, we were kind of burnt out of the whole Houston scene. Yeah. And uh, we were like, you know, let's just let's just follow a follow a dream. Let's move to Austin, you know, because especially if you live in Texas, everybody knows if you want to, you know, if you want to do anything in in, um, in food and music. You know, in hospitality, Austin is a place to go. Although, you know, now uh, things have changed. You know, this was this was like 
12 years ago. I mean, now Houston also is a great hospitality city. I, I don't want to take anything away from these cities either because I, I think that, you know, a lot has happened in the past. So we just we 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 just pursued going to Austin because, you know, the, the best culinary school in Texas was there in Austin wow. at the time uh, with Le Cordon Bleu. And uh, actually, they turned it into a Whole Foods. They, yep. It doesn't even exist anymore now. It's just a giant Whole Foods. They're all gone. They're all gone. And I just remember walking in that place for the first time and um, thinking it was like Hogwarts for people who loved food, you know. Is and it, um, That's the same feeling I got when I walked in. I'm like, man, this is really cool. And I remember them showing me some of the – we went during uh, – they were doing a big gingerbread house, like decoration thing. Nice. It was like a competition. I remember looking at these, some of these gingerbread houses and they were like, I mean, they were just ridiculous. I was like, man, I can't even believe that's like a cookie, you know? Yeah. So we were going to pursue that late in the game, you know, I had made some bad decisions with Art Institute. So I was behind on some student loans. We moved to Austin. We thought everything was set in stone that we were going to be able to get into uh, the Cordon Bleu. Couldn't, you know, get any financing for it. So that dream was, you know, deflated pretty quickly. Uh, yeah shortly after we moved there. And so I just started applying at restaurants, you know, and bars. Cause I was like, well, I got to do something. Yeah. We're not going back to Houston. So that, that's what led me to, uh, I worked at a bar slash family restaurant there called Waterloo, Waterloo ice house, yeah. um, where I started as an expediter. I worked in the kitchen. I worked in the bar, you know, I kind of, what happened at Sheraton kind of happened there. I just slowly kind of worked my way into every position. Nice. And then before I knew it, I was the general manager whoa and yeah so you know i was like managing this whole restaurant for a year and i did that for three years got real real hands-on experience especially with the front of house which i kind of never you know really wanted to go into that life because i always kind of would look at the kitchen and be like man you know i really feel like i belong back there you know kind of not up here front of the house is pretty important though like if you're in the culinary field in hospitality in general that like is they go hand in hand like to build that relationship between front of the house and back of the house is like one of those like notorious like uh, ongoing battles but in the end like they have to work in harmony if anything's going to work out proper it's true man it's so true it's actually the 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 knowledge that i gained there and the experience is totally in- invaluable but there was the whole thing about going to have having to go and apologize to uh, customers when their when their ticket wasn't right and kind of being the one that has to like fall on your sword like it, it's good because it's very character building then when you get to the back of house and somebody comes to you and something's wrong you kind of have like a different understanding of what they're going through because you're like oh man i've i've had to deal with that shitty customer before i've had to deal with that customer who didn't get the right thing or <laughs> you know so you kind of have this like respect you're like oh i got to get this done for them because i've been on that other side yeah but there's there was something about it too that was just so soulless to me that i was like man there's like i can do this but like it's not what i'm really passionate about which was cooking absolutely so then we fled actually we had to flee from austin because of some money situations Ah. our family car got repoed damn yeah it was rough man i was a gm of a restaurant i was making twenty five thousand a year yeah, that's uh, that's not a lot. A, a rough wage to live on. It is, man. Especially, especially when you're working seventy hours a week and you have time for nothing else than that in your family. We were a very small. Uh, they were a small franchise restaurant, part of a bigger Austin chain, but it was franchised to a guy who owned it. Yeah. And uh, he had no idea what he was doing either. I mean, he was a uh, computer programmer. 
honestly, neither did I at the time. I was still pretty new, also pretty young. And, uh, you know, I was willing to kind of take whatever came my way. And It sound, sounds like you took on, like, not only did you take on everything that was, like, going on in the restaurant, but, like, your attitude must have been pretty good at that point, and, like, to work with front of the house and deal with customers face-to-face and then being in the back in the kitchen. Like, you know, most kitchens, they have their own characteristics and their own, like, the people act a certain way and they, they goof with each other a certain way when there's like certain people around. So like, sounds like you had a good harmony between the two though. Like overall sounds very, like a very positive experience. And that's the reason why I was able to move up there. Um, cause I could kind of understand the different, um, languages, you know, and the different dances around this little ecosystem. Yeah. So, and that's one thing that I learned, and that's one of the really heaviest, really the heaviest lesson I learned there was just that restaurants kind of, they, they flow in this weird ecosystem. You know, everybody has their own way of doing things. You learn, you learn that, you know, this server always puts their dirty menus over here and this <laughs> server doesn't know how to roll, roll the, the silverware correctly. And that bartender, you know what? he steals a little bit and i know about that and wow yeah you know and then this this guy over here in the kitchen you know he's fast and efficient but you know the guy next to him his cousin uh, likes to sit there and watch him work so you kind of learn all the little quirks of the ecosystem and you learn where to you kind of i learned where to where to fight battles there and where to not fight battles you know there are just some things that you can't change Maybe that bartender that, you know, steals a little bit, pours a little heavier for some customers because he knows that he gets a better tip, but he shows up on work every time, every day at the, at, you know, on time. And he is the cleanest one out of the whole group. You might look away. You might look away when, you know, because you know that he has his certain routine with certain customers, but you know what? Those customers come in every single day. Yeah. So it's like you learn these little things and, um, just like the guy in the kitchen, his burgers, when he serves them, they look the best. Yeah. But maybe he's not the cleanest guy. You know, maybe he's maybe he's the one that they're complaining about that he doesn't put his dishes back the right way. But like the customers like his burgers the best. So it's like you learn all these little weird little clicks. That's such a level of maturity, though, like for your age and your time in the culinary field, like looking back, that's like a pretty high level of maturity because... I for sure I was not at that level <laughs> at all. It took me so long to get to that point of like understanding and and trusting people and uh, just being able to read the room per like pretty well. Well, the one thing that I remember from that time too is there are just some people that will never get it. You learn how quickly to the people that will never get it, the people that don't understand people that don't see the customer's needs the way that they should be seen or the people that don't jive with that whole ecosystem, you, you can't, you see them stick out quickly. Yeah. Honestly, I, I always just, I always try to look at whenever I would see things, I would just try to put myself in whatever position that person was in. Yeah. That's, that's tough to do in the moment. No, that's it su- is. super hard. It is man. And honestly, um, it didn't get me very far because we had to, you know, flee from Austin. Yeah, but like, the, I, I will let me say this much for that: like, it sucks that money it, it is such a scarce thing in our in our field, especially back then. Like, 
we were still looked at as not celebrity. Sh- it wasn't the celebrity chef craze quite yet. I think it was starting to pop off around that time, but like people were looked at as $10 an hour. Like that's the best you can do for someone. It was awful and you can't live off of that. So, you know, people worked for way less than $10 an hour. Sometimes, sometimes minimum wage at like the finest fine dining restaurants just to like get the experience and they wouldn't be able to last because the money just isn't there. So in no way would that's like it's still a badge of honor for how much you 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 grew from that you know like the maturity level that you that you gained from all that work that's sick like that 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 i look i have to respect for sure you know i i still remember when you and um jordan and frenchie (laughs) and jimmy well actually you missed the first plane i did you were in a lot of trouble (laughs) <laughs> I was um, I missed the second one. I, I was the first game. I wasn't there, but the second, the third game, I missed the plane on that one. <laughs> but ultimately, when I met you and I, you know, and I, I saw the way you guys like work together, and I and I and I, and I watched like your work, y'all's work ethic, and uh, I always found like the California culture, you know, very interesting, and and just the fact that you guys actually had like anything remotely. I mean, you know, we're you met me in college station, you know, there's like no, like there might be some like kind of fine dining there. And like, I'm not trying to like knock anybody that's trying to do that there, you know, have a level of respect for those people. That's really awesome. But like nothing compared to like what you find in LA, like you would show me pictures of like the Grammys and like baby basil leaves. And like, you know, (laughs) just, I always found like, like everything that you came from very interesting. And you would talk to me about staging, about how you would do that. Very strange concept. Very strange concept, you know, but uh, going back to the thing uh, about the restaurant in Austin and kind of like what you're talking about, what I'm talking to you about staging is like there's this level of something that you gain from that from that time period where where you're not really receiving the money for it. But you, you're, you're gaining like this level of of knowledge. Yeah, for sure. That's the, a lot of that whole staging thing is just like I think a lot of people take it. A different way like I don't think there are a bunch of people in LA that like will easily just go and stage there's like a handful of culinarians and those cooks are the ones to keep your eyes on because they're the ones that are like actually trying to see if the place is a good fit and you know what for me it was always like what is this chef doing and do I want to be a part of that and that's that's a luxury that you get in Los Angeles of being able to like all right this chef's not like I'm not vibing with what this guy's doing I'm gonna move on to the next spot opposed to like college station if you get someone that's coming at you like hey i'm down to work for a free day like you know they're trying to get something like knowledge wise or just see how you're like what what are you doing that i can start making money on like exactly yeah it's a different vibe man not the same yeah so after austin uh we had to move back uh to my hometown of McAllen, texas which is you know five minutes across uh is really close to the border you know i was born and raised there in south texas and uh we, we fled Austin and we had to move back in with my parents because we were in such bad financial problems. For minimum wage, I became, I was in charge of my daughter. We, she went to a private school. I was in charge of her school lunch program. Oh, that's pretty sweet. And, uh, yeah, it actually was a great job. You know, I mean, there was no pay involved. You know, I mean, it was minimum wage where it did not reward me financially. It was very rewarding uh, where I was able to plan menus and I was able to create recipes. And for the first time, like, I was actually like, I wasn't just like a general manager of a of a dive bar restaurant, you know, yeah. or I wasn't just 
working some huge banquet with Sheraton, I was actually like honing my craft. That's a job that makes a difference too, man. Like you're feeding kids. Like that's a, that's yeah. a pretty interesting and hard job. They're picky. Yeah, they're picky as hell, man. But you know, um, the principal at that school was very into health and wellness. This was them during the Obama years. So there was this really big push for that whole, you know, health and wellness thing in schools. So, you know, he was very adamant about, you know, the kids had to have, you know, a salad every day. They had to have a pro- like a small amount of protein. They had to have and everything had to be cooked from scratch, too, you know, because the budget was so small there. Uh, so, you know, I did a lot of scratch cooking. That sounds like and, a fine uh, dining restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Like off the top. <laughs> no money. You know, and, uh, yeah. you got to make a salad and then you have to be like efficient and, and, and give, give kids something that's going to like enrich their day. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and yeah, I didn't ever think about it like that. I've actually never worked in fine dining to be honest with you. I'd say that's, that's pretty like close. The, yeah. I, 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 okay, well I'm going to take your word for it. You know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, but you know, it was great three years. I, I got to watch my daughter go through school from K3 to kindergarten. Wow. I made some great friends there. And uh, most importantly, when we were there, since we didn't have any money and we needed to make extra money when I wasn't working at the school in the morning, uh, we started this little thing called the Dining Dude. This is where I, I found a handful of families from the school that would be willing to let me cook them dinner as wow. well, like their whole family. And, uh, you know, we came up with this idea where we, I, would, I would cook everything in our little duplex and uh, we would deliver, you know, these foil pans hot to them, you know, and it would always be, we would do it once a week. So, you know, we had seven families in the beginning that had also, they, they, would, they would, you know, buy this, this product from me, you know, so I would kind of go off of the menu I was writing for the kids turn that into something a little bit more eloquent for them in the evening for the, for these, for these families. So yeah, man. So I, so that, that, that's kind of where the birth of the dining dude happened. And this was also in the beginning of the social media age. Yeah. You know, my, my wife was, has always been really big into uh, social media. She was like one of the first people on Facebook when it was called the Facebook, the Facebook. Yeah, yeah man. And, uh, you know, she's always been kind of a forerunner. She sees these, Instagram, TikTok, you know, she she always jumps on these platforms quick. She learns the language with her knowledge of learning, knowing how to do that. And just with my stupidity to say, okay, like I'll cook this out of my two bedroom apartment. Okay. Um, you know, so that's kind of where this thing, the Dino Dude kind of came from. My aunt actually gave Piku because she lived in College Station and worked for AM. She gave Piku uh, my Facebook profile what yeah and uh he looked it up because i guess he was in need of people because they were getting ready to relaunch kyle field from the dining dude from what he saw that you know all of our pictures that we post on social media that's how our connection happened you know he reached out to me he got my number uh for my aunt and said man i've seen everything uh here on facebook that you do i really like it would you be willing to come up to college station and you know maybe come meet with me so I was like, man, okay, sure. You know, like, why not? You know, like, I feel like I've done this for three years now with these kids. And, but maybe now is the time where I can actually make like a real profession out of this. Well, you know, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. You know, Piku, the first day I ever met him, they were doing baseball. 
so I actually met him at Bluebell for the first time. And he, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, you get some food for free. And so he was, you know, kind of whining and dining us a little bit. Oh, yeah. He was he was explaining to me, him and PJ were explaining to me, oh, you know, A&M is doing this big renovation and we're going to need good people like you. And so I was like, okay, cool. Sign me up. I'll do it. You know, whatever. And man, little did I know what I was getting myself into. The open up Kyle was very, very hard. You know, definitely pushed me. And uh, but I'm very grateful for it because I wouldn't be where I'm at now without, you know, just that whole life experience. I still remember the first day that I ever worked for Piku. He had me reorganize the freezer. <laughs> was it the same and big freezer or is it the one over in the concession area? The concession one. Yeah. Okay. Right. So before we moved into the commissary kitchen, that's kind of by the Bright Center and a little bit closer to the Hall of Champions, we were actually, everything was done out of that concessions area on the, I believe it's the east side, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But either way, so it was a lot smaller than the one that we had. (laughs) Um, But still, I had never been in like a walk-in freezer that was like negative 20. Yeah. And uh, I remember just like being like, God, what the hell? Like, (laughs) But I think he was like really trying to see what I was made of. So, and I was like, you know what? No, screw this. Like, I'm going to fucking do this shit. Like, whatever. I'm just going to go with it. And uh, so I did, you know, and I guess he saw some resilience in me and, you know, one thing led to another. And then before I know it, I, I, you know, met you and the other boys from California and the rest is history. Yeah, no joke. Uh, Going back to that, that freezer situation, that also right there shows like your level of not only just like integrity, but also maturity again of where you've come from and like, yeah, dude, I'm I'm here. I'm going to do this. Like, I, I can recall some time ago being, uh, uh, you know, staging around Los Angeles and finding this burger spot out by the airport in LAX out here, or uh, out in Los Angeles, and uh, they did everything in grams. Like, everything was weighed in grams and, like, kilograms, so, like, when you do inventory, it's all weighed out, and I was like, oh, man, this is fucking hard. I don't, I don't think I want this job. <laughs> so I totally just, like, was like, yeah, I don't want this job. I'm good. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, in Marco fashion, he's like, "No, I'm good. I don't want to wait grams. Like, I'm good, man." I'm... Yeah, little did I know that like now everything I've I've done is now in grams. Like I can't I can't do right recipes uh... unless it's in grams now. Like I love being precise and I love having the same result happen over and over. But like I wasn't even smoking pot back then, which is crazy. Like. I didn't. I didn't drink as much, and like for some reason, I was just like, "Man, this doesn't sound fun. I don't want to do this. I'm gonna move on." So bad. But now, like, all my recipes are weighed out in grams, or you know, something that's actually relatable. Dude, so let me ask you: Are you guys back into like full swing there uh, with uh, with sports entertainment up there in Portland with the Trailblazers? Almost. So yeah, uh, to touch back, because I haven't done an episode in a while, and it's probably going to be a minute before this one comes out. But yeah, so our season ended uh, not too long ago, and now we're officially back to 100% open, which is going to be great. Um, we don't have anything on the books for a while until August. I believe Tame Impala is actually our, f- our first concert back. Uh, Dude. It's going to be insane. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm excited. I think I- I'm gonna go to the concert i'm either gonna try to get tickets or i don't know whatever um but i know i'm gonna be working so it's gonna be awesome to try to get back in and and see what it's like to be around a bunch of people and 
yeah, I mean, it's it's been a long time coming. We definitely don't have the same staff that we had before, and that's kind of the struggle right now is getting people back to to work. Yeah, man, it's hard, dude. Uh, you know, we there's this like this like meme that's always going around, uh, kind of where we where we're at, and it's probably where you are too. It's like, you know, it's like a picture of like a restaurant worker, and it's like, be patient. There's like only three of us, yeah. you know, um, mm-hmm. but for the past couple months i would hear people say and i and i always kind of thought well you know that's not true but they would say oh that's because people don't want to go back to work because of unemployment which i totally understand right that's totally feasible you're not making as much money you know working in that restaurant as you are on unemployment but the other flip side of the coin now being a business owner what i'm realizing too is with the way the price has gone up in groceries and the way that the the price of labor is going up because the minimum wage is going up mm-hmm. we can't afford more yeah, that's the disconnect, you know. Yeah, I, I, that's the disconnect. The the big uh, the way I'm feeling it out here in Oregon is that um, yes, there are people still on unemployment, but for the majority, like the people that don't want to come back to work, it's because they just don't feel like it's safe yet, and that's fair. Like, if you're not, vac- I hear you on that. Yeah, if you're not vaccinated, then obviously it's not going to be a safe working environment because you're around a lot of people, but. The people that are in our kitchen are fully vaccinated, which is great. So, like, we still take the same precautions. Everyone wears masks inside. If you're outdoors and totally different, you know, you, you don't have to wear a mask because our local government had said it's, it's fine. But, um, yeah, like, before, I'd say this is back in January, like, the people that we were trying to get back, they weren't willing to come back because it still wasn't a safe working environment. But, like, as vaccinations become more available for everyone and i think our state is at like almost 40 or 50 percent fully vac like all adults vaccinated to with both their doses not just one like as soon as we hit 70 basically everything is going to open up to the point of yeah or 70 i think 70 or 72 percent is like the goal for our state and everybody can go no mask because at that point the majority should be fine like we we've reached like herd immunity more or less gotcha gotcha but yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward well, to summer. It's going to be nice. Yeah, Texas is is different. So I have to tell you. Um, please please you enlighten know, me. You, I have no idea what's going on down there. <laughs> well, if you can you can only imagine. <laughs> you lived here for a little while, so you kind of know the culture. Yeah. But like, so for instance, like College Station. So we we travel. We we so we deliver. So what we do full time now, we we still do the dine and dude. So, but it has been a very tricky. It's been very tricky waters to navigate because of things are constantly changing. Whether it be you know economic failure, just having the uh, headache and the I shouldn't call it just a headache, but just the heart to continue to run a staff and to pay people and to deal with product costs going up and so. I, all that to say, but we we deliver in multiple cities here in Texas. You lived in College Station, so you know, you know. I mean, it's like a totally different vibe there. People are very um, they're very stubborn, and like you will run into some people that will be like, if you wear a mask or you ever wore a mask, like we won't support your business. What? And you're like, yeah, yeah, this is a very true thing. And then you find, and then there's the other side of the coin where you're, where you have people that are very, they're very cautious. Like you said, like you're talking about people are worried to go back because they don't know if it's safe. Like then you have that crowd who's very cautious and they're like, well, I don't know if I want to order because I don't know if they're doing their due diligence, you know? 
Yeah. So as a business owner, I got caught in the middle, especially in College Station, where it's like you have this one side of the coin that says this one thing and the other side of the coin that says this, this, this certain thing. But like when we deliver in Austin, nobody questions. They're like, oh, you have to have a mask. That's just what it is. Yeah. Everybody agrees with that. You know, it's all kind of equally uniform. And then a few of the out, outskirt uh, cities that we deliver to, like Georgetown and like Leander and like some of the outskirt towns here in uh, Houston, mm-hmm. where they're very pro, like no mask, no, ma- no vaccine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's like Texas is the weirdest place because like you can be in one side of a city that has a certain value and then you go to the other side of the city and the values are completely different. Has this been the theme the entire time? Like are, now that like majority of the country's gotten or a good chunk of the country's gotten vaccinated, like are you starting to see that kind of change again or is it still sort of the same? Well, right now we're like in this weird nebulous. So like we were in Austin yesterday, actually. And so like right now, like the vibe in Austin is really awesome. For the first time since COVID started, people are like actually going out because people there are completely vaccinated. Yeah. They haven't like a lot of those people haven't left their homes. (laughs) They haven't even they haven't been out. They haven't gone anywhere not wearing a mask. And this is like the first time and like it's summer and you know, people are like really starting to get out there again. So there's this whole vibe of like, you know, people are just like ecstatic. And you kind of feel it when you're walking down the streets. We were at Central Market yesterday. We actually had dinner with some people, great people. It was actually the husband's first time out since wow. COVID. Like he had just stayed at home. And like his wife said, like, this is his first time out. Like, sorry if he's talking a lot, but like he, he hasn't seen people, you know, other than on a computer. So I'm like, man, that's so cool that, you know, that we get to be a part of that. For us, and unfortunately, like being small business owners, I didn't, I, I couldn't, you know, we didn't have the luxury of like stopping. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're lucky. So we work out of a commissary kitchen. Everybody wears masks and everybody's very cautious and stuff like that. And we have been. The mask you policy at the, at the kitchen, is that from the kitchen itself or like just you guys like no, it's actually a local ordinance. It's just oh, it's a good. lot of people. Yeah, it's just you know, as like again, you know, Texas or not Texas College Station. If you remember anything about the place, A and M, it's just it's a, it's a weird culture there. It's pretty mixed because it's like a college town, and like there there are people there that had settled down, and then there's and that older community has its spot. But like for the most part, like there's so many new pieces being grown there like uh new uh, apartment complexes and new um high rises like it's an expanding city for sure brian college right. station itself is like it growing so big uh and i know that the hope is to like bring more people there more students you know have more of an income that like they can be there 24 7 throughout the whole um season like not just be there during the times that students are there. that's, I think that's the hardest part about living there is like when there aren't students there, there's nobody there. So there's no money. Like there's no influx of money. Yes. And that's why we learned with the small, with our business, you know, we, that's why we deliver to these other cities because everybody knows that there's that eight weeks, eight to nine weeks in the summer where things are touch and go, which we're there now. Yeah. This one is even harder 
this is an even harder summer for College Station because so the people of College Station have always been travelers. A lot of people fly out to Mexico or they fly here, or they fly there, or they just travel everywhere, you know. And last year they weren't able to. Everybody that has the disposable income to do that is doing that this summer. Yeah. The town right now is a ghost town. And even <laughs> even more so than it was yeah. before when you were there. It's so crazy to think like when I was there, uh, the three years that I spent there when the kids were gone, that was like my favorite time because I could drive down the street without hitting too many traffic lights and, um, you know, less cops out on the street, less people at the bar. It was you'd really meet like the hometown crew at that point. You do. You do. <laughs> and there's not much of them, honestly, because no. <laughs> the, they can't afford it, you know. So, yeah, man, uh, you know, so we kind of we, we navigated through those waters and we're still we're still navigating. There's a lot of days where I'm like, man, the whole owning your own business thing, it's it's there's just so much that goes into it. You know, and it's like, man, it's 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 very tricky navigating through this this post. I should say just this post COVID world because, you know, the market's just going to continue to. You no, know, nobody could travel before, so now they're all going to travel, right? And then, like, nobody could go to concerts. So, what do you think is going to happen in the fall? Like, concerts are going to boom. People are going to spend their money on doing that, and rightfully so, they should, because that's what I'm going to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, if I have the money, that's what I will do. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you that, know? like, in your in your city, I hope in College Station at least, you know, they're going to also take advantage of that situation of like, all right, we built all this infrastructure now. Like, we have hotels, we have local residencies we have nicer restaurants chain restaurants let's bring some talent here because like you have you know uh kyle field where shit can go down like uh, concerts and stuff there's also the basketball arena and then there's also there's just so much there in that college potential so much potential that i feel like they should take try to take advantage of that and even if it's like bringing local bands and local acts to like make it a livable area you might see a better influx i don't know how how anyone could well, go about that if, if back to our conversation about both sides of the coin that's one thing that we learned during this whole thing was that you have the old guard and the new guard it's unfortunate it really is because yeah. you end up with this micro chasm hmm. you know this little community where it's like I shouldn't say microchasm, but it is it is a chasm in our community where it's like you have this one side who's very educated and this one side who's stuck in their ways. But uh, yeah, I have another opportunity to basically just give everything up I have right now and just pursue a different part of Texas, specifically a farm, like a like a vineyard. Ooh, that would be lovely. That would be yeah. clutch. So Fredericksburg. You know, <laughs> Yes. How did you know? Because that's the only like <laughs> wine country part area out there in Texas. <laughs> yeah, man. So we have a we have a uh, opportunity to maybe move out to Fredericksburg. That's good. And uh, you know, right now that's it's a battle between do I do I pursue that romantic the romanticism that I was talking about that I saw, you know, that you have, or do I pursue what's gonna maybe offer me a paycheck. I think, but I think you're going to be able to find both. Um, that, that romanticism, the, the, the romantic feelings, emotions that come, that's, that stuff doesn't come from like a specific place. It comes from 
everything that you do. Like the way I look at just the way that you take pictures online on your Instagram, like that's it right there. That's the romantic part of food. You're looking at everything. The the only reason that you're even daring to take a picture of something and not only because you're proud of it and you're trying to promote it. And I know like there's a whole business side of it. Like ultimately at the end of the day, the culinary industry is a business, but you know, when you take a picture of something and you put it on Instagram, you have to know that there's like a guilty, like pleasure that you get out of it of like, man, that looks fucking good. I'm going to take a picture of that and post it. (laughs) It's true, man. It really is. You know, and sometimes you put yourself out there. Yeah. You, you dare to dream. If the dining dude follows you to Fredericksburg, that would be dope. Like, if you can do that while you're there, that would be awesome. Even if it takes a minute for you to get back to doing that. But, like, you know, I feel like you can find that that moment and and live that life again. You're a very mature person. You can find it, I think. It's been, it's been so long since we've, since we've touched base. You know, I... Uh... I do miss, I, I miss you and I miss Shelby and, you know, I still see John every now and then, honestly, yeah, John teeter. helped me out. We, we did a thing together not too, you know, a couple, couple weeks ago and, and every now and then when I'm in a really bad spot or I'm in a pinch, I, I even tell him I throw the bad signal up <laughs> and, uh, he always comes to my rescue. So solid. Um, Shout out to John Teeter for that. Yeah, for sure, man. Because he, uh. Like uh, I'll give you a for instance real quick. We did this. Uh, I did I, through the dining dude. We did a pret a pretzel pop up. So it was Oktoberfest. I went to the hill country uh, here in Texas and I bought some really good, authentic uh, German sausages. But the one hitch was so we were going to sell these packages. It's during time of COVID, so we're trying to figure out like, okay, this could be like a whole package. Like it's Oktoberfest. Like we're going to sell these authentic German sausages. I'm going to make two different kinds of mustards. We're going to make sauerkraut and we're going to make these really awesome homemade beer pretzels. It's one of those things where we put it out there to the public and I wasn't expecting to get the response that I did. So I think it was like I had 255 pretzels to roll out. Wow. Um, five ounce doughs. So five ounce pretzels and, uh, <laughs> Man, it was it was no easy feat, dude. I was not expecting the response we got, and uh, so I call, I called John. I'm like, man, I'm in over my head. <laughs> He's like, what time do you need me? I said, when do you get out of work? <laughs> He's like, two. I was like, can you do two fifteen, two thirty? And uh, he was there, and uh, so yeah, we we rolled out. You know, I was already kind of in the process, and I was already doing the dough, and I had already rolled out a few. And uh, when he got there, we just finished them all up, nice. and uh, you know, uh, served everybody that uh, pre-bought those those packages. That's just one, and there's been many more after that. So, man, that... um, you know, just total total culinary G. He just shows up like a lot of those support chefs. That's a that's a total throwback though to to you like that level of maturity of like knowing when you're in over your head and like all right I gotta call someone in for this because <laughs> there are so many times that like as chefs like we have a sort of arrogant cockiness to ourselves like and rightfully so we make food for yeah. certain, certain types of clients at times where it's like shit I'm making a, a chocolate chip cookie for for the Bush family or something doesn't matter like. If you need that help, you're gonna call it in. You're gonna be like, "Yo, yo, I need, I need some info on this. I need help. Somebody get me something." And not to feel bad about it, 
Luckily, I've been run over by a truck so many times in the in this field that I'm I'm you know I still keep my ego intact in certain things. But you have always when it comes done to calling for though. help. You're you're really good it, at that. Yeah, I'm really good at being slow. Actually, to be honest, no, it you're just, quick, dude. You're the guy that has everything going at once, but like nothing happening at the same time. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's like, man, I got this going, I got this going, I got this going, I got that going. But I'm still but here. Is done. Yeah, but nothing's yeah, done. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, I, I was uh, just editing uh, the last episode that I recorded with Shelby, and we were talking about you. And obviously, we sing your high praises, but there, we were talking about how, like, man, you're like everywhere, and you're like here and there, and like we all had our, um, we all had our thing in the kitchen, like. You were the dude, like, getting everything. You had, like, five tilt skillets going, and you had the grill rocking, and you also had the flat top going and shit on the on the, on the the stovetops, and you were frying at the same time. And then Shelby was the guy that was, like, bringing everybody together, making the game plan to make sure we were all on point, or he was, like, he was good. And then me and Moses were just kind of, <laughs> like, we were just kind of there, I think. Like, he was killing it on the on the smoker, and like running like what like was it four or three smokers at the same time, just insane. Like running through thousands of pounds of meat. Well, freaking Piku would come and throw all kinds of shit at me. Honestly, yeah. Like you were the go-to guy know, for so many years. I was like, man, that fucking guy. Like he fucking terrorized <laughs> me. But at the end of the day, like he he kind of he he made me better. No joke. Shout out to David Piku. I, I know he listens to the podcast. Yeah, no, he, he really, uh, he pushed me to be a better chef, honestly. Like, I wouldn't be anywhere, like, my, my career now. Yeah. No, but he would fucking terrorize me. He would throw all kinds of shit at me at once. And I'd be like, oh, God damn it! like, what, how the hell am I going to get all this done? He did tell, he did tell Jordan that uh, I made the best uh, 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 shrimp boil. Yeah, yeah, he, dude, he told everybody for so long until you left and, like, I'm going to say this, that you were were the person I was aspiring to be. Like, I didn't know it that first year that you were the guy, but that second year I was there, I was like, okay, I have to be as good as Theo. I have to, like, learn everything he does and, like, take all the shit that Piku throws at him and be able to, like, rationalize it and make it work and not be a dick about it. Because <laughs> I know I was really bad at, like, taking orders from people at that time. Well, the funny thing is, like, Pika would, I guess he just really thought highly of me and, like, thought, like, maybe I Hell was, yeah. like, like, but the thing is, like, I was, I was only always, like, one step at, like, barely one step ahead, you know what I mean? Like, he would throw stuff at me and I'd be, like, uh, all right, but, like, but his trust in that, in that, in that frame, in that picture frame where he would actually trust me to, like, be able to do something massive trust where he he could know that i could do it all around i mean you have limited resources you have to trust the person on your side like that's like some like that's some like army mentality or marine or whatever like you trust the person to your side all the time like and i had never i had never had uh a cook in the kitchen or a chef in the kitchen or anybody any superior of mine ever trust me to that point where they could be like you know, go do this, this, and this. And I'd be like, okay, you know, like I'd never been given that trust before. So I, I really feel like that's the trust that kind of pushed me into the next level where it was like, man, I'm just gonna have to figure this out. Cause like, there's really no other way. You know, I also didn't want to disappoint him, but there was that, you know, there was a couple of times where I, you know, scorched, 
you know, 40 gallons of cheese sauce and uh, <laughs> a queso, you know, because I had too much there. shit going on. I remember one time he looked at me and uh, he says, oh, well, it was it was 40 gallons of mac and cheese sauce. And he yeah. said, uh, he looked at me and he said, oh, well, it's smoke mac and smokehouse mac and cheese, right? I said, yeah. He said, well. You smoke them. You smoke the mac and cheese sauce. So <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Throw." You know, I think it was like we just throw some of the barbecue seasoning in there and put the pulled pork in there. And you know, sure enough, we tasted it, seasoned it a little different. You know, and uh, it ended up working out. But I, I still even remember that that one that one instance. Uh, just like basically the look of fear. Both it, and I had never seen that look in him before. You know. It, it's like 40 gallons of fucking mac and cheese sauce yeah really but it made me better honestly and uh absolutely like that that and like you think about him too like he could have come down on you super hard and told you to throw that shit away but like he knew that was not the time to to make a lesson of it like it that's not only is it money as a business owner but also like you don't want to break the spirit of somebody that like has done nothing but right by you and like someone you trust, you just kind of have to make it be what it is and, and lead, you know, if someone's going to talk shit about it, I'm going to take the heat for you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, man. I think it was a special culture. Yeah. You know, definitely we can never go back because honestly, those were not the easiest of times, but you know, obviously we can't go back because we don't have a time machine, but Everything I am now is 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 definitely based is 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 a there there's a tribute to that time in my in that time in my life to where I am today. You know, everything I do is a tribute to my past experience and my past times. But I hold that time very high and very dear. I agree. For sure. Yeah, like that that was nothing but growth. Like that was, if anything, that was like the gnarly growth spurt that that launched careers like D- Dylan went off and became a, a gnarly executive sous chef at, um, where is it? The, in Nevada for Allegiant field for the Raiders. Uh, Jordan was a sous chef at, uh, the bucks up in Milwaukee. And then now he's an executive chef for another like living facility up there. So he's doing, you know, everything now. And, and Shelby opened a food truck. Shelby opened a food truck, and he's been catering for the basketball team at Ball Arena. And, like, dude's been, like, busy. You know, he's still doing his thing. He was – I didn't even know he was doing baseball up in Seattle for a moment. Like, that's how crazy Shelby has been. He's just done so many different things. And then I left Texas and did a bunch of random things and kind of made it to, to Moda Center. And, like, I'm so happy to call that home. Like, that's – it's a really great crew and – we are losing a few pieces here and there, but like for the better, like we're, at least we're all within the company. But and I can tell you one thing: I love Garrett too very much. You know that dude freaking put me on a path. Honestly, he uh, he's one of the first chefs that I met on support. He was just so hella humble too. He never he never treated me, you know, even though I was just like new and just starting out. He never like talked down to me or. He was always just like that dude that you just see like in the movie that's just like, you know, like, ah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to fall in love with red, with red velvet, you know, <laughs> and, uh, anyways, no, you know, he, he taught me how to roast, uh, peppers and onions in a pizza oven. Nice. And I'm like, well, why didn't, why didn't I ever do that before? He's like, oh, this oven doesn't work. This oven doesn't work. Oh fuck it! Does this pizza oven work? 
Yeah. All right. Well, just send them through that. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, just that out of the box thinking that that guy does too, that, you know, he's like, okay, this is like the sandbox, but you can also play outside of the sandbox if you want, you know, like you have permission. Yeah. And uh, I kind of carried that too um, into everything I did. Cause yeah. I always thought, man, that, that fucking guy, you take the the worst situation and be like, you know, one time I saw him stick a, it was a Cambro, like one of those big, uh, Ones that we marinated turkeys in, I said, they're probably like 25-gallon Cambros, those clear ones. Yeah. We ran out of prep space with that first game at A&M, and the sous chef left, and there was oh, shit yeah. everywhere. <laughs> so there was no table for him to prep on. He just flips one of those upside down, throws a cutting board on it, and he's squatting. <laughs> and he's just cutting vegetables or, like, just finishing up, like, you know, the stuff that we were short on. And I'm like, holy crap whatever like just flip a camera upside down and use it as a prep table that's totally fine yeah it's off the ground <laughs> <laughs> it is you know it's far enough off the ground that it's legal so yeah. okay go run with it you know so that... but anyways i gotta run my, my kids are, are ready to get into bed and uh absolutely thank you for coming but... on man i'm so appreciative for you to tell your story and, and give me your bits of it man i had a good time and hopefully you can get you back again well, hey, man, honestly, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And, you know, like I said, whenever I listen to your podcast, when I binged it a few weeks ago, I was like, man, I have to get on. I have to figure out a way. Let me just text him and see. So, you know, thanks for sure. Thanks for having me on. And uh, thanks for the free therapy, honestly. <laughs> thank you. I I will definitely put Dine Dude, your Instagram. Throw me your I'll put your website up on my little website that I have. Uh, if there's anything I can do, let me know. I will promote as much as possible. Hell yeah, Marco. And uh, until then, we'll just uh, we'll just stay in touch, all right? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And that's it. Another episode in. It's quite amazing that I've been able to continue this and still have great guests coming on. I have a few more ideas of what I want to do for this season. Um, it might be the end pretty soon. Like I've said over and over again, it still hasn't happened. But the next season, for sure, I know exactly what I want to do. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening and checking in on this podcast. I appreciate you so much. Uh, it's, it's a labor of love to be able to have these conversations. And like I said a while back, and I'm just trying to, trying to share a little bit. So please be safe out there. Take care of yourself and be well. Bye. Bye.